Russell, please. Well, thanks very much, and it's, uh, it is a pleasure to be here, um, you know, particularly at this time. Uh, what I'll try to do is really to describe to you uh, what, um, what our view is about NAFTA and what we're trying to do uh, in the negotiations, and then um, say a little bit about uh, the massive security threat that Canada presents under Yeah, on, on the NAFTA situation, I mean, there's no question that anything um, that is 25 years old in our economy uh, needs an update, a refresh. Uh, we've also seen some uh, areas where I think uh, you know things could be improved and can be improved on an ongoing basis, particularly with the economy changing as rapidly as it is today. Um, but our goal in, in terms of entering into these negotiations was first and foremost to make North America more competitive on a global basis. I think that when, when, when our competitors are really not uh, so much uh, you know, amongst the three of us, but are in Asia and in Europe and in elsewhere, and the Chinas and the Indias and others, um, anything that detracts from our businesses uh, being internationally competitive, globally competitive, is a bad idea. And, and so we've been trying to look at things. And also the other thing is, is that the purpose of a rules-based trading system is to create some certainty so people can make long-term investments. And so a number of the proposals that have been put forth um, that we have resisted strenuously, things like, um, you know, sunset clauses that have, that unless everybody agrees after five years that the agreement goes away, we, we think simply creates a, a climate of uncertainty. Uh, if you don't have dispute resolution mechanisms, um, then, you know, what's the point in an agreement? Uh, we think that uh, businesses need to feel as if they're going to be treated fairly wherever they're going to invest within. Uh, are three countries and you need to have some ability for companies that feel as if they've been treated badly to seek redress. You know, all of those things are, um, we think, pretty logical and we find that most businesses in America uh, agree with us on that. Uh, unfortunately, so far, uh, we've had trouble with one of the parties at the table uh, putting forward ideas like that, and I won't mention who it is. Um, so, so we will continue uh, to put forward what we think are constructive ideas on rules of origin, on dispute resolution, on, on some form of review mechanism which doesn't uh, put the gun to everybody's head every five years, um, and, and, and to try to work cooperatively with the United States and with Mexico to improve the agreement. Uh, I say to, I've said to the USTR, I say to uh, the White House and to, to the people in Congress, there is no one in the world who wants America to be successful more than Canada. So we are not looking to try to enrich ourselves at the expense of the United States. We want you to succeed, but we want us to succeed too, and we want Mexico to succeed. So that's really the focus of what our whole negotiating position has been. Um, on the 232 uh, case, um, you know, uh, first of all, uh, 
it is not a good idea for anybody to try to link the steel and aluminum case to the NAFTA negotiations. That will not produce a better NAFTA climate. In fact, it's already created some stresses and strains on it. Um, the, since, since the Second World War, Canada has been seen, has been defined by statute as a part of the defense industrial base of the United States. Um, you have a, a $2 billion, almost $2 billion surplus of steel sold into Canada as opposed to what we sell in the United States. You actually have a $41 billion surplus on manufactured goods. Um, and, and, you know, we are members of NORAD, NATO, we fought together uh, for over a hundred years. Um, my grandfather was an American, uh, grew up in California and was one of 35,000 Americans who crossed the border into Canada to fight with the Canadian troops in the First World War before America joined the war. 2,500 Americans who died in the First World War fighting with the Canadian troops before the U.S. got into it. The notion that somehow or other we are a security threat to the United States is uh, absurd. And uh, so we continue to try to press for exception uh, to, to these policies. I understand that there is overproduction problems with other countries. We have pledged, as has Mexico, to work with the United States to make sure that there aren't transshipment issues that come in that, where there's dumping that takes place, we're, we're there to try to make sure that uh, our economy and yours benefits. Uh, but um, what I don't want to see um, is a situation where we go down the path of uh, actions that are uh, not, not based on either fact or on law uh, end up with people being put in a position where they have no choice but to retaliate. Um, we don't want to go there. Uh, but having said that, if these actions take place and we are included in the 232, as our foreign minister said, we will have to take appropriate action. So uh, I continue to be optimistic, both in terms of NAFTA and in terms of finding a resolution on the 232 case, simply because it's in America's interest. Um, it is in America's interest to maintain NAFTA, improve it, and it is not in America's interest, either defense or security, uh, to try to find ways to uh, punish Canada, which is its largest trading partner. So thank you for being here. Happy to answer any questions. And by the way, uh, you know, uh, Geronimo and I have, we have decided we're going to take this show on the road. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, we don't charge money for it. <laughs> Probably not the ethics. I don't know you, but I'm, I'm going to ask for a pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning to all of you. I, I'm extremely thankful for the invitation to share this breakfast this morning with you. Thank you, Jim, for the invitation. It's always a pleasure um, to share any panel with my good friend, Ambassador McNaughton, with Congressman Hurd. Not many people realize that he's, in fact, my representative. I lived in his district for six and a half years when I was in San Antonio, so... I hope you voted last night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got 80%. I'm not get in trouble for being involved in domestic politics. <laughs> but you know where my heart uh, lies. Um, and Senator Moran, I had the privilege of visiting with you and, um, and, and exchange so, so many important uh, views on, on the importance of the relationship. Thank you also. Um, 
some basic ideas uh, about NAFTA. The first one is NAFTA was intended to increase our trade and investment flows and to create a rule-based system to govern our economic relations. And it has been extremely successful given those objectives. You all know the figures that are often quoted by the ambassador, by myself, and many other people that believe in NAFTA. But in fact, our trade has uh, grown threefold among the three partners. Investment flows exactly the same. And in spite of what people think, our trade and investment relations are uh, go on, the vast majority of them, without any significant dispute. And that has given certainty to investors uh, and to the private sector of the three countries over the last 25 years. So it's been a success. Should and can it be improved? By all means, it's 25 years old. There's been a lot of disruption, to say the least, over this last 25 years. So it just makes good sense to review that agreement, to update it, to modernize it, but certainly not discard it. Um, President Trump urges us all to think about that. That's welcome. Um, let's, let's review it, and that is the intent of the negotiations that are being uh, presently undertaken by the three uh, governments. The second thing that is important is that the agreement is not only about trade, it's about producing together. Over these last 25 years, a series of supply chains on very different sectors have been created. And those supply chains are precisely what allow us to be competitive in, uh, in a context of increased competition. We might not like that, but that's the truth. We, we, in a sense, we fail or we succeed together precisely because of those supply chains. Have there been, are there industries, sectors, <coughs> firms, people that, have, uh, that are hurting because of uh, trade? Not certainly, not only in Canada. Yes, and the same happens or has happened in Canada, in Mexico. The question is, how do we get those sectors, how do we get those people and those firms into the benefits of this trade agreement? And that, I think, is a policy question and a policy challenge, but not closing ourselves to what has certainly been beneficial. The usual figure that is quoted is that about 14 million jobs in the United States are directly linked to NAFTA. I'm not mistaken, nine in the case of Canada and around five in the case of Mexico. Exactly the same happens in Mexico. A lot of our employments are also linked to the trade and the investment from the United States. So again, we fail or we didn't succeed together. Third point is NAFTA is not only, it's also about security. Now that we're talking about security, NAFTA actually has and will add to the security of the United States. It's not the other way around. It's NAFTA that precisely gave us a platform to do a lot of things on security cooperation the three countries together, for example, after 9-11-2001. We have, just to put an example, Canadian, Mexican, and U.S. officials sitting side by side in the National Targeting Center in Virginia and looking at containers that come 
in through our borders to North America and looking at all the passenger lists of people coming into North America and using the same algorithms to identify if there's a container or someone that you know, we believe jointly that we should put more attention into. And a lot of things are not always in the press. Certainly, Canada has had a very long tradition, including force in working with the United States. Our security cooperation, law enforcement and security cooperation, which is certainly more recent, is profound. It, it, is, it has strengthened enormously over the last 25, 30 years. And we have done so also convinced that that security cooperation is in Mexico's best interest. And that is why we will continue to work. Because it is our own best interest. Finally, on the steel, um, the steel sector, um, two quick things are, uh, as my colleague said, you know, we do believe and we have uh, clearly talked to the administration about the fact that our countries as NAFTA partners and for any other reason should be excluded. And this comes at a difficult time because it does limit our abilities, I think, to compromise, to reach compromise as we move forward in the NAFTA renegotiations. The NAFTA renegotiations, what is likely to happen, I still remain optimistic that we will get a deal. It's not going to be perfect. Probably neither one of their sides is going to be fully satisfied. That's the way usually things get done. But in the end, it will give us a tremendous economic boost, and it will continue to strengthen our relationship. And I'll just, for 10 seconds, this is a press release that was issued by the industry of the three countries, the steel industry, in June of 2017. Let me just... Uh, give you some very brief, you know, read a paragraph. Since NAFTA entered into force, trade in steel products between NAFTA countries has increased by 117%, more than doubling. Indeed, today, the vast majority of North American steel exports are made within the region. 97% of Canadian steel exports are to the United States and Mexico. 90% of the US steel exports to Canada and Mexico, and 76% of Mexican steel airports are to Canada and the United States. Combined, 88% of all North American steel exports are within the region. Making tariff-free trade within North America is critical to the industry's success. And farther down, it does say, and I think that's an important policy question, domestic policies, actions in the all three countries should be closely aligned <laughs> to defending the region from fair trade. We are for free and fair trade among us, and we can certainly work to defend ourselves from unfair trade for other regions. But we have to be careful about the ways and the tools we use to do that. Let me close by saying something very similar to my good friend, uh, Ambassador McNaughton. We also want the United States to succeed, and Canada to succeed. A successful United States is as much in the interest of Mexico as a successful Mexico is in the interest of the United States. We will continue to keep our heads cool, to be constructive at the negotiations, 
to be clear where our limits are, and to do everything we can that our partnership with the United States continue. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Ambassador, thank you very much uh, for joining the Ripon Society. Jim, thank you for the invitation to be here today. Uh, I like uh, auditioning for the Ambassador's Roadshow. Uh, we'll see how we do this morning. And uh, Representative Heard, uh, great to be with you. Uh, Representative Heard and I have teamed up on IT uh, federal acquisition uh, and uh, cybersecurity within uh, the United States federal government. And uh, he is a uh, tremendous uh, leader in regard to those areas, and I look forward to hearing what he has to say about uh, this issue of trade. Uh, I've been on a mission uh, across the country and certainly in my home state of Kansas uh, trying to develop the, the understanding about how valuable NAFTA is, how important uh, trade is to uh, the United States, and I can bring this home how important these issues are to uh, my constituents in Kansas. And I, you know, I, I bring to this, uh, I was not in Congress uh, when NAFTA was passed. Throughout my time in Congress, I'm still a member of Congress who has town hall meetings. Uh, used to be 69 of them every year when I was in the House, now it's 105 counties. Uh, and so I'm in front of people. NAFTA has its critics in Kansas, uh, as, as dependent as our economy is on, on trade, on export. Uh, and it was always easy to say, well, you know, I wasn't in Congress when NAFTA passed. It was an easy explanation to extricate myself from a conversation about the criticism of NAFTA and how it affected somebody in particular. I don't think I have the luxury of doing that anymore because NAFTA is so critical to the future of our state and to our state's economy. So I've been particularly uh, across the country talking to organizations, uh, many of them in the ag sector, about upping their game and support of NAFTA, delivering messages to members of Congress, uh, to the administration about the importance of trade. One wouldn't think that we would be here with this kind of discussion with a Republican president, a Republican majority in the House, and a Republican majority in the Senate. This doesn't fit what you would traditionally expect to be the circumstance. Uh, and so I think it's a particularly important for us to make certain that the things that we say we believe in uh, are delivered uh, as we have this opportunity to make certain that uh, trade and exports continue. Uh, Mexico and Canada alternate uh, in our state as to being the number one market for agricultural products. Um, so they are important uh, customers of ours. Uh, and, but it's not just agriculture that matters. We manufacture lots of airplanes in our state, uh, and the supply chain is important. Uh, we manufacture a lot of automobiles in our state. The supply chain is important, but also the exports of those manufactured goods uh, to Mexico and to Canada and to the, and to the globe. And we, in my view, we have to look at the issues that we face uh, in regard to renegotiation of NAFTA uh, based upon what we've seen um, occur in the last uh, short period of time. And that is uh, a withdrawal from the negotiations on TPP. Uh, it is the imposition of tariffs on uh, washers and solar panels. Uh, and now it's the potential implementation of tariffs in regard to steel and aluminum. It paints a picture of the circumstance in which we are negotiating, or our view, uh, the administration's view, in regard to the importance of exports. Uh, it, it would be, a, in a sense, a throwaway line, renegotiate NAFTA, absolutely. Improve it, modernize it, uh, bring in the issues that have changed and that, we didn't, that were not thought about during the original negotiations of NAFTA. But the end result has to be a, a product, an agreement, in which uh, all three countries are beneficiaries. Uh, it makes, I mean, just common sense tells me that you cannot negotiate an agreement in which only one of the parties benefits. 
And so in our approach as the United States has to be seeing how both, uh, not both, all three of us, Mexico, Canada, and the United States benefit from a modernized, updated, uh, new version of this NAFTA agreement. Uh, I would particularly indicate the, the position that withdrawal from NAFTA and even the threat of withdrawal from NAFTA, while perhaps it is a negotiating tactic, a technique, um, it is not going to be something that uh, we as a, as a state and as a country who earn, a, who earn their living uh, in exports, uh, it's not a risk that uh, I think is a, a worthwhile risk to take. Uh, even the suggestion of withdrawal from NAFTA, which may be thought of to be leverage, has the risk of having Canada and Mexico find other suppliers for the things they currently purchase from the United States. You're going to be looking for a certain supply, uh, a supply with certainty. Uh, and so this topic uh, of withdrawal is the one that I've been focusing my attention on. Although the same thing can be said about, as the ambassador from Mexico indicated, the idea that we would terminate uh, a new agreement every five years for renegotiation. Uh, I, while, while many of you earn a living by twisting members of con Congress's arms, I'm not certain that we or you would want the circumstance in which you are visiting us on such a periodic basis trying to convince us that a trade agreement is good. The politics of trade agreements, as beneficial as trade is, the politics of trade agreement is not that um, easy. And for us to try to find votes to pass a trade agreement on a regular, ongoing basis uh, would be a tremendous challenge. Because, uh, as, the, as the ambassador indicated, sectors of the economy, individual workers and individual factories are affected differently by every trade agreement. And we, as, as elected officials, as politicians, always want to take care of the individual, the circumstance, that it, it's, it, all politics is local, and it creates a difficult time for us to find the, the broad perspective of how trade benefits uh, the entire country. My hope is that we can quickly, my hope is in regard to trade, is that we can re-enter the TPP negotiations. I was pleased to see that uh, the President, the administration indicated that was a possibility. Um, uh, again, the tariffs are now pending, and I think many members of Congress, and uh, especially Republican members of Congress, are very active in their engagement with the administration, delivering a message about uh, the challenges that will come to us as a nation uh, should we uh, impose tariffs, uh, at least in the broad way that uh, it's possible today. And I hope that NAFTA is negotiated, uh, renegotiated quickly, certainty is provided, and we can focus on the relationship between our three countries. There are significant challenges we face in the world. National security for all three countries is important, and it would be great to be cooperating on law enforcement, drug interdiction, uh, and, uh, and security issues. Borders do matter, uh, and us working together in regard to those issues as compared to uh, an ongoing, continual battle over trade matters. Uh, finally, I would say that I've delivered this message during the, the tax debate. I'm a supporter of the tax bill that uh, Congress passed. I believe it will grow the economy and create greater opportunities for more people. Uh, I try to avoid, as a Republican, just saying this is about economic growth because that sounds like something Republicans always say. So I say this is about more jobs, better jobs, higher paying jobs, and more secure jobs. So that makes sense to me, but I've delivered the message both to my colleagues in Congress, but also folks in the administration. The benefits that I believe are coming and will continue to arise from uh, our new tax policy 
will be significantly reduced if we don't have income for which those new tax rates apply. So you can send a message to Kansans that we are reducing your tax rates. But if you take away our ability to export wheat and cattle and corn and airplanes and automobiles, those tax rates become significantly irrelevant because this is how we earn a living. And we need to recognize that tax rates only matter whenever there is high incomes for which those tax rates can apply. And we earn a living in this country and we earn a living certainly in my state by what we sell to countries around, to customers around the globe. Uh, look forward to your questions and uh, delighted to be back. I'm always reminded when I met uh, what I call Ripon, that I mispronounce it, at least according to Jim. And I've been thinking, why do I not know how to pronounce R-I-P-O-N? It's because I've read so much history. No one ever talks to me about Ripon, but I've seen the word. So I only know what it sounds like on the page, <laughs> not what it sounds like until you say it. So, Ripon. Ripon. <laughs> Thank you for the education. <laughs> I would like to thank the Ripon Society for, uh, for having me. And, and also, I think this is the first time that we've been able to do a panel together. Um, Jerry has been a great role model and partner and friend on, on so many issues, and I'm, I'm glad we, we share the same opinion here. And uh, gentlemen, I haven't been on a, a road trip in a while, so I'll drive. So we may need to think about that. We may need to think about that. We have an acute problem and we have a chronic problem. The acute problem is because of the chronic problem. And all of us are part of creating that chronic problem. The acute problem is NAFTA 2.0. Right? The chronic problem is that we are still in a point in our society where we're having to debate, to debate that free trade is a good thing. And we're going to get through this NAFTA 2.0, but we're still going to have that chronic problem. We shouldn't be in a point where trade should even be a topic of discussion during campaigns. I think, I think Adam Smith kind of articulated the importance of free trade in 1776. Um, and so, so we have to continue to make the case for the importance of, of free trade, for the importance of NAFTA, how that improves North American competitiveness. We have to continue to talk about how in 24 years, our three economies have 300%, how we actually build things together. We can't stop delivering that message. And it's all of our responsibility to do that. I was in Montreal for the second to last round, excuse me. And I just got back from Mexico City uh, from this last round. Reading all the articles of, about the negotiation, you would have thought that everybody's pencils were down and nothing had happened. But talking to all three negotiators, they all have said that this was by far the most work that had been accomplished in all the rounds. And conversations around the tricky issues were beginning, and everybody expressed um, the, the, the hope and, the, and the, the positive feeling that we can get this done when the negotiations come back here um, to, to, to Washington, D.C. So if the four of us close this door and got a napkin, a big napkin, we can, we can solve this deal. Right? I think the problem that's getting in the way is folks in the White House have their vote count wrong. Whatever, the, the, hardest, the hardest parliament to pass this, once, it, once the three negotiators get this done, it's going to be us. We all know that, 218 and 60. 
And I think the White House opinion on where they're gonna get the votes is completely flawed and completely wrong. And that's why it takes uh, members of Congress in both houses to articulate where those votes are going to come from. And we also have to remember that Article 1, I believe it's Section 8, says Congress is responsible for, for trade deals. So we're going to have some opinions on that. And many of the proposals that have been tabled by the U.S. negotiator are things that would not pass in Congress. Now, I am, uh, I am not married. I've never been married, no children. I was engaged once, but when you come home and say, hey, honey. We only um, have four minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if marriage, if marriage, at the end of five years, both had to agree to be in marriage, how many people get in a marriage? Now, that may be a marriage I would like. <laughs> that, makes, that makes no sense. Um, the certainty on, on ISDS, we all know these arguments. Um, you know, this is hurting our industries. This is going to hurt the energy sector. And, and when it comes to automotive parts, um, my friend from Toyota is here. I always remind folks that prior to NAFTA, there was only two Toyota plants in the United States of America. Since NAFTA, 10 with an 11th on the way. Um, that's transformed South San Antonio, where, where I represent. And so, so we have to get that right. And we gotta make sure that we're actually bringing jobs to the U.S. and strengthening our economy. And, and I, I will just, I will end with this. On 232 in, in aluminum and uh, steel tariffs, you don't fight with your allies. You fight with your adversaries. And if we have a problem with China, let's address the problem with China. And impacting our allies is, is not the case. And I get throwing out crazy ideas is a negotiating tactic. And that may work in an individual negotiation, but that kind of behavior erodes trust when you have allies that you have to work with on, on many other issues for a long time. And I think this is misguided, and it's ultimately going to hurt the U.S. consumer, and it's going to ultimately hurt our economies at a time when we just supercharged it because of tax reform. Jim, before we get started with questions, what time are we going to cut it off? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. Um, uh, so it is now one minute till nine. I, I did talk to the ambassadors, fine folks. They said they were fine. Um, Senator, Congressman, how are you guys doing on your time? When do you need to have a cutoff? Depends on the nature of the questions. <laughs> I think I have one lightning round in there. <laughs> okay. Very good. We'll, we'll shoot for 9.15, and that should give us a chance for probably four or five questions. I do get the chance to ask the first one, but because we have such a group here, I would like to give that up and just take questions from the audience. Please. Colleen with Top Chemical, thanks for all you're doing. Um, we're really excited about the fact that the chemical chapter in the annex was completed, and so we really are hopeful that we can land this plane. Um, I My question is about the EPA extension and what, what your views are on that, particularly when some of the 
items or sticky points are in conflict with the TPA objectives. So will the Congress give the President the extension if ISDS, for example, or other objectives are not being met at this point? I don't know, is, is the short answer. Um, but, but ultimately, I, I think what you're going to start seeing is, is Congress ex exerting um, their opinions a little bit more forcibly um, over the next few days and weeks um, in order to ensure that the White House understands where, where the vote count truly is. Um, a lot of people have kind of noticed um, on this topic in the past and have a good idea of where things are despite <laughs> What you know, and I think I think this administration is doing what all administrations do when they first come in. They think that they can do the thing that hasn't been done before, and um, are are overly optimistic uh, about what can, what can actually get done. But, but I, I would say, for me individually, I think we should have every every tool in the toolkit in order to influence this debate. I hadn't thought about this till I gave Will sufficient time to give me a chance to think. Uh, and the, the thought does occur to me that this may be the opportunity for uh, alterations in that authority. Uh, and that would then, as a, pa a package deal, be easier to pass than traditionally that authority is. As, as you know, as we know, nothing about uh, that grant of authority for negotiations is easy. But here's an opportunity for us to take some of the concerns that have been raised by members of Congress, and this, for the first time in my time in Congress, this beginning to evaluate the um, abdication or the grant of authority to an administration. I'm of the view that I want Congress to have more powers, not less. Uh, I think the framers had it right. We are too easy to delegate or we're too dysfunctional to actually do our work. Uh, and if we can increase the ability for Congress to remain uh, more engaged, further engaged in trade, I think that's a good opportunity. At the same time, recognizing that no trade agreement can be negotiated by 535 <laughs> individuals. But this gives us the chance to do some alterations of the traditional uh, grant of authority. Please. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Hart, good to see you again. And Ken Laredo and Will. With been down to Laredo. I'm Mario Peña with IBC Bank and with the Laredo D13 delegation from Laredo. We're up here. Got a couple of representatives. Uh, I just wanted to commend all of you for some remarkable comments on NAFTA. Uh, Laredo being the largest inland port, not just in the country, but in the entire Western Hemisphere, with 16,000 trucks crossing every day, we think that. It, it would be an adequate uh, moniker to say that we are the heartbeat of NAFTA. I mean, everything goes through there. And uh, having said that, and Will, you're going to jump out of your chair, I know, because San Antonio, NAFTA was signed in San Antonio the first time. And I know they're probably lobbying. And you want it to be signed in San Antonio the second time, right? <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> no. Having premised with my comments about Laredo being the largest inland port in the Western Hemisphere, and probably one of the communities that uh, is the pulse of how NAFTA is doing, we feel that it needs to be signed in Laredo, and we would welcome all of you to be down there for that. Think about that. 
I didn't hear a question in there, but uh, I'll take advantage of it. Uh, I, IBC Bank uh, has had me on in Moreto on two occasions in which we've gone to the border. I appreciate the outreach that you have, uh, as an organization, have made to, to me as a senator from Kansas. It also allows me the opportunity to say, while I talked about agriculture and uh, manufacturing, automobiles and, and airplanes, uh, this is also a transportation issue. Uh, this is important to a company, for example, called Kansas City Southern, uh, that uh, Laredo is an important uh, crossing point for, but it's BNSF, it's UP, it's the other railroads, and it's truckers. Uh, transportation would be an industry that would be significantly harmed by a reduction in our relationship between uh, all three countries. And excuse me for focusing, I need somebody to invite me to the Canadian border. Uh, the, uh, I've never actually been to Canada, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, and I, I would mention in, in regard Road trip? Road trip. <laughs> At some point in time, I'm going to come visit Bombardier, uh, and we appreciate that company and its presence of Learjet in Kansas. Another question? I have a question. Uh, so we're seven months into the negotiations. We've closed six chapters of negotiations, I think, the last I read. And I think I read that there are 22 or 24 left to go. And I know that with elections in Mexico on the horizon and a midterm election in the U.S., the timeliness of completing this agreement is, 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 a, is a big part of the question as well. I wonder if you could comment on, the, on how you see the negotiations proceeding and prospects for closing on time. And um, you know, look, usually trade agreements take several years. Um, but I think what we had sort of anticipated was that um, this one, because of the political significance, the economic significance, that if we had uh, goodwill on all sides, we'd find a way to get it done. And I still think that it's possible within the next month to at least reach a high-level uh, agreement in principle that could then be turned over to professional negotiators to finish off the details. But I think if we're going to get there, um, there has to be a recognition um, what the Senator said earlier, which was, you know, that, that, that there has to be give and take, it has to be good for all three parties. If we can approach it from that point of view, uh, anything is possible in the next uh, month because it's in everybody's interest. I, I would... Uh, echo what Ambassador McNaughton said. It's really, I've said it before, it's really the substance that will determine what, what the pace of the negotiation takes. Uh, we certainly want to finish as soon as possible, but uh, not if that implies uh, getting a bad deal. Um, I think that the negotiators are doing a good job in a difficult context, and uh, they're very professional teams. And uh, I, I echo the idea that the sooner we have at least, there are really four or five things that are the bulk of the negotiation. Uh, I wouldn't count those in chapters necessarily. I think that many of the chapters are relatively easy to have agreement on. But we all know that there are four or five things that, that could um, you know, make this more complicated. If there is an agreement in principle of those things that would later be uh, Iron out by the professional negotiators. Maybe that could be something accomplished sooner. Uh, that's that's I will, you know objective where, where I think things are. One of the developments that occurred uh, was some cooperation in the United States Senate. Those words don't always uh, align <laughs> easily, but we confirmed uh, three additional 
individuals for USTR last week, uh, including two Kansans, Greg Dowd, becomes the uh, trade ambassador for agriculture, uh, was confirmed by the Senate last week, and the deputy trade uh, ambassador, C.J. Mahoney, also a Kansan, my first intern, so he's gone from intern to Mr. Ambassador, wow. um, is uh, responsible for Mexico to China, uh, which is not a, 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 but a significant uh, challenge. Can I, can I just make one uh, point that I really like to you know, uh, convey to all of you, and that is, and it's something that my colleague mentioned earlier and, and, and the senator talked about, you know, what's happening at the present moment is that um, you know the Canadian Navy uh, is in the Caribbean working alongside the U.S. Navy to on drug interdiction and on human smuggling. Uh, we just uh, intercepted the largest cocaine smuggling operation uh, in the last ten years. Uh, we stocked more cocaine in that one uh, one operation than the entire police force of Canada did in a, in a whole year. Um, the Mexican, uh, some people from Mexico were at our embassy two weeks ago with people from the State Department talking together about how do we deal with the challenge in Venezuela. Uh, our Foreign Minister and Secretary Tillerson co-chaired a meeting in Canada and Vancouver to talk about the challenge of North Korea. Um, we face uh, challenges all over the world that are more complicated than I've seen in a long time. Our national security advisor and I are going to sit down at the White House later today with H.R. McMaster and the people from the NSA. Um, we need to put this behind us and get on with the fantastic cooperation that's taking place um, at the working level, whether it be on border security, whether it be on drug interdiction and human smuggling, whether it be terrorism and the challenges that are presented. And, and the problem that the tensions and the rhetoric does is it makes it more and more difficult for each of us to work together. And I think that would be um, a bad thing uh, for all of us, because I've never seen the complexity of the security challenges that we face here in North America. And I just hope that we can find a way to work together to make those things, because I've never seen the kind of cooperation Existed. You know, if somebody had told me 15 years ago that Mexico was going to open up its oil and gas industry to foreign investment, I would have told you you're out of your mind. But it's happened. Um, so uh, I just urge everybody to to press on to to tell all of their uh, representatives and, and and people do make a difference when you talk to your members of Congress and to people in the administration and tell them how important. It is, it makes a difference. So please do. Thank you.